you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll get rolling this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're, we've been, we've been uh, treading water here in verse 30 and uh, 31. So we're going to go back in one more time. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And we're going to go in one more time into these four categories here, uh, and we're going to look at the issue of redemption. And we're going to look at the, that issue of redemption in its unique sense, and, but, and actually in the, 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 the flow of the verse. And uh, again, you have to remember what Paul is doing here, Okay. And usually what happens, by the way, is people, preachers will read verse 30 and 31 and move on into chapter 2, okay? And when they do that, they do a disadvantage, a disservice to what Paul is doing with the Corinthians, i.e. with us, as we study it, in the corrective doctrine, okay? He has been, he is rebuking the Corinthians, for moving away from God's wisdom, God understanding, God's word, to human wisdom, human philosophy, human tradition. And he's, he's been rebuking them. But it's one thing to rebuke, reproof, and let that be it. It's completely different to rebuke, reproof, and then apply, give the corrective doctrine. Okay? If you've raised children or been around children, that's what you do as a parent. You, rebu- you, you discipline them, but then you give them the corrective measures to not do this anymore, okay? Well, why can't I do that? Because I said so. Only go so far, see? Eventually, you got to begin to say, well, because if you got caught by the authorities, you're in jail for life, you know, <laughs> or whatever. You know, you scare the, the britches off of them. But the thing is, is that's what Paul's doing here. But of him, are ye in Christ Jesus? He, he's... He's going to remind them, yes, you are moving away. Four chapters, and as Paul's introducing the issue, the core issue for all of your problems, Corinth and us really, is when we move away from the Word of God and we go to human viewpoint, human wisdom, and and so forth, the error. Paul is going to apply corrective doctrine here needed to correct this error. By the way, we will see him latch on to verse 30, in chapter 2, in chapter 3, and in chapter 4. He's going to bring them back to verse 30. Because, so verse 30 is kind of the hinge. It's a linchpin here in not just rebuking them, reproving them, but bringing them to some maturity, bringing them to some understanding. And again, you have to remember what Paul, again, verse 18, the preaching of the cross, all that Christ has accomplished at Calvary is what he's talking about. But he's doing it in a very unique manner. Verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ, Jesus, who God, who of God is made unto us. Us who are in Christ. Okay? He's not, this isn't to lost people. This is to believers. People who are saints. Sanctified. He's made unto us wisdom. And again, we looked at that a specific, in a specific sense. In a very unique manner. And, the, and that issue of wisdom, not just any wisdom, okay? If I add enough water, this will work. No, a uniqueness, a dispensational viewpoint here. 
And that wisdom that he's made known, made unto us, is that design of that glorious, unique truth about what God's doing today in the dispensation of grace in and through his Son. And the very fact that he's made known unto us, Ephesians 1, all wisdom and prudence. He's made known. All the treasures, Colossians 2, that are hid in Christ have been revealed. So here, so Paul is going, Paul is, I'm not, not going to reteach wisdom, but that, the point here to show you is what Paul's doing is, is he's, here's how the Father views the Son, and here's what he's doing in and through the Son, and you and I are participants in that, but yet you and I need to view the Son that way, because what are they chasing? Human wisdom. They're leaving the wisdom that God has given them in who they are in Christ. And we're called to view the Lord the same way and to understand that eternal purpose that's now been revealed. So the Corinthians are moving away from that. They're, move, they're looking for the answers to finding God. That thing in chapter 2, we get over there, I, ear, heart. They're, they're out looking for the th- I'm trying to understand, and just let your eye cross the page there to verse 9. He says at the end of that verse, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. What's human wisdom? In human wisdom, you can't know the things that God prepared for them that love him. You have to do it God's way, see. So what are the Corinthians doing? They're out searching. They're out looking. They're out, and he's hey, all the wisdom has already been given, made unto you. It's already been given to you. It's just you're going to come over here and do it in God's way. See, You already have all in who you are in Christ. You're out here looking around for it in society and culture and in philosophies and the educational system, and you're never going to get that way. Then he says, and righteousness. And again, it's a unique. I, I, I asked the question when we first started, in what sense? In what sense has he made wisdom? What sense has he made righteousness here? And here we begin to learn and we saw this. there's a unique truth now regarding that's been revealed, a unique truth that's now been revealed regarding the righteousness of God being made available to a Gentile. Never before. Historically, the Gentiles had no claim on God, Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. We looked at it. They're without God. They're without Christ. They have no hope. They're aliens. They're on the outside. So historically, legally, no claim. And now all of a sudden, he says what? <laughs> well, now my righteousness is available. It's, it's upon all. It's unto all and upon all them that believe. So we learn something about how God, how it is that God is able to make his righteousness available and then impute it to them that believe. To the people that historically belonged to Satan. That's where you were, that's where the Gentiles were cast to, assigned to. Back in, in, uh, in, in the old time, in the prophets back there, the, the verse, and I can see the verse, I can't see the reference, so don't ask me just yet. Okay, I'll work on it. But the thing is, is it says that God has assigned the nations to the gods, little g. 
It's like, whoa. Why? Because you're not his people. You're cast off. Now, you have access, but access through who? His people. For the very first time, now the access is through the man, Christ Jesus. He's now the mediator. So the righteousness here is in this unique issue here, and that's our justification. How can he do that? How does he have the right here? How can he legally impute righteousness to all them that believe? So it's not just, well, the righteousness of God. No, there's a unique in it, a dispensational viewpoint. And then last time was sanctification. And again, that unique truth here about God's placement of those who believe that positional sanctification, come back here in chapter 1, come back to verse 8, uh, sorry, verse 2. There's a positional sanctification that Christ is made unto us, not practical. Practical sanctification, that's Romans 6, 7, and 8. That's coming over here, that's 1 Thessalonians 4, having your life ordered and everything. This is positional because practically who are the Corinthians, chapter 3, they're babes, they're carnal. They're not practicing their sanctification. And yet, what does he say, verse 2? Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are, what? Sanctified in Christ. How can they be set apart? Sanctification, set apart. How can they be set apart? Well, because what? They're in Christ. There's a unique sense here about how God has made the Son our sanctification. By the way, they're called to be saints. There's that calling thing again. You see, look at verse 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The calling here is nothing about justification. They're already saved. The calling here is to this fellowship, this being set apart for fellows, sharing in common with the Lord some things that beforehand was not yours, but yet he's made righteousness. He's made unto us, right. we have righteousness in him, who, and it's all designed by the wisdom of God. You see, the Corinthians were looking for spiritual truth in human wisdom and philosophy instead of the fellowship of God, of Christ. Notice that verse 9, God is faithful. That's the issue here. That's what Paul's driving home. You guys are out here trying to think about things differently, and yet you're missing God is faithful. He's the one doing this. Now, in that sequence that we have here, now we come to redemption, the last in the verse, okay? And my Lord willing, and the clock doesn't go out too fast, we're going to finish chapter 1 today, all right? Verse 30, redemption. And again, redemption in what sense? Now, while we understand redemption is used a number of ways in Scripture, uh, again, redemption just simply means to buy something back or out of. A freedom by payment of a price. You go into the pawn shop. We were in a pawn shop uh, a couple uh, earlier this year up on the reservation, and we're looking at blankets and everything. We're just looking around. And there's, what was that term they called? The non-pawn, was, it was off-pawn. Anyway, you could buy it now. Otherwise, it was on, on, on the loan or whatever. There's a name for it. Doggone it. No, not consignment. Dead. Dead. It's a dead. So now it's available to buy. Thank you. 
okay? So what do you do? You go over there and you pay the price, but what is the price? Usually the amount they loaned plus about 100%, you know, or whatever, I, okay? What do you do? You go in, but if you're the pawn, if you're the one borrowing the money and then you get the money and you go do what? Redeem back your item before it goes dead, <laughs> okay? See, so you, you have, we understand that. We understand, come over to Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 24. Usually when we think about redemption, we think about Romans 3, verse 24. And we think about it as in that issue of the payment of our sins, that fully satisfying payment. We're redeemed from the slave market of sin, and that is legitimate, but that is not what Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Okay, look at Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You, again, usually this is how we think about redemption. And again, what do we learn? We learn how here that, re, that ransom price, the wages of sin is death, has been paid for. And, and it's, been, it's been paid and we've been set free from the bondage of sin. The sin and the sins. It's taken care of. You go back to Leviticus. Uh, go back to Leviticus 25. And we think about the kinsman redeemer. And in Leviticus 25, here's the law of redemption. Leviticus 25, 25. Here's the law of redemption. And usually this is how we think about redemption. Look at verse 25. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if, and if the man have none to redeem it, and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, and he, that he may return unto his possession. But if he not, be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of jubilee, and in the jubilee it shall go out and he shall return. Think about that. <laughs> it's mine until, for 50 years. And if you can't pay it off in 50 years, then I'll give it back. I, I mean, I, you think about the year of jubilee. But the thing of it is, is what is the law of redemption? Well, first of all, it's got to be kin. See, you got to be related. So if my brother is... So some things that my brother owns is sold off to pay. I'm his, I'm his brother. What, I can legally come now in and redeem it. But that's not it. I have to be able to do that. Able to pray, pay the price how? Fully. Even the surplus. And I have to be willing to do it. What is the Lord Jesus Christ? What does he do? Is he kin? Yeah. He, he came, was made to be flesh. His incarnation makes, you, makes him kin to you. And I, so what did he do? Was he able to pay the price fully? Yes. But then yet was he willing? Philippians 2 says, yeah, he was. He became obedient, obedient even under the death of the cross. And that's usually, come back to 1 Corinthians 1, how we think about it. Redemption. 
By the way, Leviticus 25, 25 to 27, there is what redemption is a majority of the time. It is not what Paul's referring to in chapter 1, verse 30. In chapter 1, verse 30, you got to think about this. Okay? And by the way, it's not wrong to think about redemption in that context of paying off the debt and so forth, okay? But the redemption here, think about the sequence that we've been learning in verse 30. Here we have God's wisdom. Calvary puts it into action. The, the eternal purpose of God the Father and God the Son is revealed to the Apostle Paul in the dispensation of grace. And that in that revelation of truth is where we see the righteousness of God being imputed to the Gentile believer, how that God can legally do this, how then he can take that believer and sanctify them, positionally put them in Christ, set them apart to that unique position called the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And then redemption. And the redemption here, within that sequence, doesn't take us back to righteousness. You've already been redeemed. The righteousness of God has been what? Imputed to you, given to you. So we're not back to salvation unto eternal life or salvation from our sin. Now we're going to talk about the redemption here where Paul's going to talk about something of a future redemption. What does the wisdom of God reveal? Yes, he's applying his righteousness, redemption from their sins to the man, but now there's a future redemption. Follow that? You've got to think about the sequence here. Wisdom, God's wisdom. Here's the big picture. Here's the revelation. Here's what it's going to look like. And what's he doing? He's applying his righteousness to the Gentile dog. Over here. Well, if he's applying his righteousness, what has he done to you? He's redeemed you from the slave market of sin. So Paul doesn't say redemption to reach back up to righteousness. He's already dealt with that. Now, come over to Romans 8. Now we're going to begin to learn something about a future redemption that is true. It's dispensational. It's a, a unique application to redemption. There's another component to it. I always say there's a side A to Calvary and there's a side B. And the side B is your life and Calvary impacting your life. But a part of that is this future redemption. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8. And, and you have to think about this because we have a, in 1 Corinthians, we have a very big chapter 15, talking about what? Resurrection and the resurrection from the dead. And what is the Corinthians doing? They're allowing human wisdom to get in there and, and the foolishness of thinking that you will be bodily resurrected one day. Don't you know you just die and they put and you just go in the ground and you go to sleep? So now we have sleep and, and no resurrection, okay? There's a theology term. I just slipped it. Man, I shouldn't have went hiking yesterday. <laughs> and they're fought, and Paul's going to deal with them. So he's dealing right here. You guys are over here in this stuff, and you need to remember that you have a future here. Romans 8, verse 20. 
Let's think about this here for the next half hour or so. Look at verse 20. For the creature was not subject to vanity. I'm sorry, was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same. Notice the last two words. In hope. Now you think about creation here. You drop down and you look there. In verse 23, and but not only they, but ourselves also. So think about creation. Creation, the, the planet. Creation, man. Suffering is a consequence of what? Genesis 3, the sin, the fall of Adam. And what Paul is doing here, in, in, in a little, lo, little lower than, you know, try, in, in your life, you and I, we are not immune from suffering. I know what the preachers say, oh, if you pray this, if you give enough, God will heal you, take care of you. No, he won't. You're not immune to suffering. You're not immune to the consequences of the corruption, of death, of decay. You're not immune to it. It's part of the equation here. And what we need to do is we need to have a clear understanding concerning all of that. Because there's so much bad doctrine out there about it. That if I knock twice and kick the door three times, God will open it. No, pull the handle and open it. He's not working that way today. Did he work that way in the past? Yeah. Is he going to work that way again in the future? Yeah. But today he's not. He, so you get all of the healing things going on. Do you know that when God healed somebody, it was 100% complete, total, never had to do a redo? We used to have a neighbor live down the street from us. She went five times to Benny Hen's meetings to get healed. And each time she was healed, by the way. And I looked at her and I said, you need to read Acts chapter number 10, or Acts chapter number uh, 3 there, where Peter's dealing with the guy outside the temple. And it's a whole thing, whole, the whole of him. And she's like, well, you know, you Bible believers. I'm like, yeah, that's me, sorry, <laughs> you know. And it's like, wait a minute here. You see, we need to have a we need to have an under a proper understanding of what Paul's communicating here. We are, we should never expect God, and honestly, we should never ask God for any physical deliverance because He's not working that way. And that's what Paul is getting at in Romans eight. There's a, there's a thought process. Now, the thought, the, the thought process is those last two words of verse 20. We are to, we're to expect to suffer. Paul is getting across to you and I that we should never think that we're now, because we're believers and we're in Christ and we're his, that we're immune now from suffering. Actually, Paul tells us later, expect for it to, to be ramped up. But look at verse 20. How does that verse end? In hope. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty, I'm sorry, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You see, there's a future hope out there, isn't there? There's a future hope that when the sons of God are all together, are in their, man, in their position, 
See that? Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Who are the children of God? The, the true Israel of God in her place, in their proper place, in the kingdom out there in the future. And then you and I in our proper place in the heavenly places. When we get to Ephesians 1.10, when that Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he'll gather all one thing un, under Christ, whether, whether they're in heaven or in the earth. When we're in that condition, you know what the creation's going to be? Liberated from the corruption, the bondage of corruption. And what is creation groaning and travailing for? That day. See, okay? Now, you've got think to think that through a little bit. Because what is creation waiting for, according to verse number 21? They're waiting for the glorious liberty and the children of God. Well, who is that? That's you and I. That's Israel in their proper place. By the way, the dispensation of the fullness of times is what begins what Revelation 21 calls the new heaven and the new earth. What do you think the earth's waiting for? They're waiting for its own new body. It's all, get that bondage off of it. Meanwhile, what's going to happen? They're going to groan and travail, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now. So what, oh, you know, you should never ask for God to deliver you. You shouldn't. Now, you can, and you know what he's going to say? My grace is sufficient. Get, deal with it. Go to the doctor. Take a pill. Do whatever. The medicine. Okay. And the, and the point is, and I'm not trying to be offhand about it, but it's the thought process here. Verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, while watch, waiting for the adoption. To wit, the what? Redemption of our body. That is a future redemption. None of us have our new body right now. You know why? Because we groan and travail. By the way, you're to groan and travail. I love that. Verse 23, even we ourselves groan where? Within ourselves. Keep it to yourself. We don't need an organ recital. You know, you know what happens? You ask people how you're doing and you get an organ recital. Nobody cares. Keep it to yourself. Now, I'm just kidding. I care. But that's the idea here. What are you doing? I don't need to hear about your moans and groans. I got my own. Yesterday, Keith and Jordan and I and Jeff, we went and hiked Flatiron. I'm groaning today a little bit in my, my legs. Okay? I did until just now because I want to use it as a... Actually, I didn't because I told Linda. I'm like, oh, you're preaching today. I'm laying right here. <laughs> And she's like, nope, get up. You know? And it was a little more rugged than what I had anticipated. But then again, after climbing Camelback, I shouldn't have. But anyway, the point is, is we have this what? What are we waiting for? The redemption of our body. When does that happen? At a future event. Now, now notice where we're at in verse 23. What are we waiting for? The redemption of our body. Now, look at the end of verse 20 again. Those two words, in what? In hope. We groan. Groaning's okay. Keep it to yourself. But you know what, though? Think about what God and God's wisdom did here. 
God never intended his creation to groan and travail. So when Adam and Eve fell, what did God deliberately do? He cursed his creation. But he did it with a hope in the future of being what? Redeemed. You see, it's God's wisdom that creation and man was cursed so that he could do what? Come in and provide a redemption program. There's a redemption at Calvary for the sin and the sins, but then there's also this newness coming. You see, that's God's wisdom. That's what Paul's taught. That's why I said in the sequence of verse 30. In that sequence of verse 30, what are we doing? We are waiting for a redemption. The Lord, God has made the Son a future redemption issue for us. Yes, in the righteousness, he's dealt with that, but now in that future, in that new body. So Paul here, he's going to put on the, here's the power of God on, on display. You guys think everybody just dies. That's the philosophy. You see believers die. Yet God, there he says, you guys are the first fruits of the Spirit. You're mine. You're going to die. If the Lord tarries, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get sick. You're going to hurt. You're going to decay. And you're going to what? die. And yet, what has God done? In death, what does he put on display? Resurrection. Redemption. Well, what are we waiting for? The adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for we are saved by what? Hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Not really. <laughs> we don't usually really wait patiently for it. What are we doing here? The power of God is on display. It isn't him healing everybody. Actually, you and I have something far better than the healing program of Israel. We have him. And we have that, that, that finality of that resurrection body in him. He's not fixing it all. We have a hope. We have a future hope of redemption from this corrupt world, from the effect of sin. Come over to Philippians 3. The, the effect of sin on our lives, the suffering, the death. Philippians chapter 3. You see, we're, we're sustained by our inner man, understanding the details about that future expectation, that future hope. A future absolute that one day what God will do is he's going to give us that glorious new body. Philippians 3 verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now that's wonderful, isn't it? But that ain't it. That's not all that verse says. Watch him. According to... Two, according to what? The wisdom plan, the righteousness plan, the sanctification plan, according to the working whereby he is able even to what? Subdue. Now Paul just drug you back to Genesis 1.28 where he commanded man to do what? Subdue, have dominion over, and so forth. Subdue all things 
unto himself. You see, we have a personal benefit in that we get a new body. But you know what? The real benefit belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ because what's he going to use you and I to do? Reconcile, subdue the heavenly places. You see, Christ is using us for all of eternity to subdue, to reconcile the heavenly places. And we're, we have this, he's going to clean up the heavens, and then he's going to install the, the church. And you know what it is? It's glory, glory, glory. And that's where we're at. And come over to Ephesians 1. And that's the point here that Paul's making. There's a unique truth about redemption that has to do with what Christ will ultimately achieve for us and in us and through us for all of eternity. And it, and it hinges on that future redemption. Ephesians 1. So, by the way, the rapture, we call it the catching together or being caught up together, better name. Day of redemption, better name. But see, that rapture event, we all focus in on it and we miss what's happening after that. That's a great thing. And you know, you need to know the details. You need to understand that doctrine. But man, I tell you what, there's something far better coming than just getting caught out of here and getting a new body. And we don't focus in on that. We focus in, why? Because we groan and we ache and we hurt. And we got to get it out of our head. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, Paul says, the, the temptations that happen to you are common to man. You ain't special. I love that. You're not special. We think God got a good deal here. No, he just got you. And you're not special. What are you going to Everything's common to man. But yet God is faithful. There it is again. He's able to make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Well, how do I escape something that I got to bear? It's the doctrine, see. Ephesians 1, look at verse 14. We always read verse 13. We never read 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. There's, see, there's a future redemption of the purchased possession. That's the complete and total Church, the body of Christ, it's a future redemption, that ultimate redemption where the church is gathered home, and it's all to the praise of his glory. You get a benefit, but he gets the ultimate. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So Paul, the point in, in, chap, in, in chapter 1 verse 30, the point there is, is that Paul, to the Corinthians, you're missing a future redemption that's designed here to have an impact on your life now because it's going to have an impact on life out there. And you guys are over here following the sleep theory, guys. And you're over here that you just, you know, you don't exist anyway. And all this stupidity that comes in. And you're trying to find God and all that. And yet, in God's word, you've got it all already in who you are in Christ. You just got to go learn it. But they're, they're not able to. Why? Because they're carnal. They're babes. And they've been... You take a baby and you rattle the keys in front of the baby. And the baby now likes the what? The keys and shuts up. Or be quiet. Sorry. Quits crying. What did you do? Shiny object. You distract it. That's what's happening at Corinth. They're being distracted by a new doctrine. By a new idea. And Paul says, no, don't leave who you are, and you've left him. 
Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is going to, he's going to develop out this issue of resurrection. Uh, if, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it, the, the, the whole of it here, uh, again, as Paul, the point to the Corinthians in, in chapter 1, verse 30, is this future resurrection, this future redemption, it is designed to have an impact on your life today. Okay? You and I, we've been delivered. It's already done. So we should live that way. We should live in that moment. We should live the way that God views us. So chapter 15, if you look at verse 12, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some, now watch, among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's the issue in 1 Corinthians 15. That is the issue, period. But what Paul does is he begins to develop out the fact of it's got an impact beyond just right now. It has an impact right now. It has an impact out in the future. Because what's happened at Corinth, come over to verse 31, is that they are beginning to move away from the understanding of a physical bodily resurrection. So Paul's going to press the point. By the way, if you look there at verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Isn't that interesting? See, they're missing that, that glorious truth. Look at verse 31. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Now look at what's happening here. The resurrection, the redemption of our bodies, the future, is impacted to happen to your life daily. See, Not just when it hurts the most, or stiff trying to get out of bed, or not. No, daily. Verse 32. Now watch. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Now, you think about the beast at Ephesus, okay? Well, you could think about Colosseum, you know, all that. But who did he go to battle with at Ephesus? Do you remember? The silversmiths. Great is the temple of Diana. Religion. What's God's estimation of man-made religion? Beast. It's beastly. And Paul says, if I'm over there, remember they put out a hit on him, lewd men of the baser sort. And his, and his family, they drop him over the wall in the basket to get him away. They delivered him. And so they, if, if Paul says, if I am doing that and I were to die and I believe that there's no resurrection, then why am I doing this? That's why the end of that verse, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What's the purpose of life here then? If all we are going to do is die and lay in the grave down there and the maggots have back at you, the bugs eat you, Okay, then why am I doing? You see, there's a future redemption. There's a hope here that impacts right now. Do you know why Paul went to battle with the beast at Ephesus? Because he knew that if he died, he would be where? Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He knew that God would resurrect him one day. Why? Because that's what God's word says. 
Corinth, they weren't doing that. They were like, no, there's no resurrection. And that's why he goes through all the different body types. What kind of body, again, what kind of body do we get? Oh, man, when we spend, I can't wait to 15. We're going to be a year and a half in just one chapter. It's going to be great, exciting. Why? You guys, wake up. Come on. It's just Sunday morning. Why? Because look at all these body things. And what Paul's doing here is he's, look, guys, you guys are rejecting the truth. You know what happens when you reject the truth of a bodily resurrection? Then your mindset is the end of verse 32. Let us just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What's the use? What's the purpose? The next hour we're going to talk about a purpose you can fulfill. Why? If, if there's no resurrection, then what are we doing here? See. They are rejecting the truth about that glorified body. And that has begun to have a negative impact on how they're living. How are they living in complete carnality? Why? Because it doesn't mean anything. I can go do whatever I want because it, it, there's no impact. And Paul's like, no, there is. Why? Verse 34, awake to what? Righteousness. Awake. Isn't that interesting? What are, if, if he's yelling at them to wake up, then what are they? Sleeping. They're, de- they're spiritually asleep to it. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool. He's not sitting here, oh, it's okay, honey. We'll take it. He's smacking them. You're a fool. Why? Because if, if we don't believe in a bodily resurrection, then you know what we're going to do? We're just going eat, to eat, eat, drink, and die, and we'll you know, just figure it out later. Sell the buildings and cash it all in, and let's go fishing. Why? What's the, there's a glorious purpose. Come over to, chat, to verse 55. There's, a, there's an intended impact on your life. By the way, verse 33, 34 there, 33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Use that on the kids growing up, evil communication. But in the context, what's the evil communication? It isn't swearing. You shouldn't swear anyway. It just means you have a limited vocabulary. You shouldn't expand that vocabulary. What's the evil communication? It's the doctrine of what he's talking about here. The evil communication is that there's no physical resurrection. It corrupts what? Good manners. See, I, I saw a bumper sticker back a few administrations ago, and it says, uh, a uh, armed society is a polite society. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that would be if we could all know who was carrying, <laughs> you know. But see, the thing is, is that's, what Paul, that's all about resurrection. That's all pertaining to the impact that we are to ha- that is to have on our life concerning the issue of bodily resurrection, the future redemption. Verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's wonderful, isn't it? That's wonderful to know that we have victory over death. It doesn't hold you. Now, somebody told me the other day, I don't want to die, but I'm not scared to die. I'm not afraid to die. 
I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid if, I, if it happens. But now look at verse 58. What's the verse, first word? Therefore. Isn't that interesting? Therefore. Because what do we have? We have an understanding that death doesn't have a grip on us. We have a future redemption because we have an understanding that we have a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ over death and over sin and over the law, over all of it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be. Isn't that, this is what you, where you be. You should be right here. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is what? Not in vain. Where? In the Lord. You know what's going to happen in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? He's going to break out in a great oration about the judgment seat of Christ, where your labor is put on, dis is put on display before the Savior. And he goes, that labor isn't in vain when you're doing what? Thinking about what you're doing now with the future. You see, I have a message a couple years ago, living with the rapture in view. That's how you ought to be living. You ought to be living life with what? That future hope, that future redemption right there in front of you. Otherwise, you know what you are? You're most men miserable. Because all you're worried about is the stinking now and now and how, you know, God's doing this to teach me. God's doing this to train. He is, no, he doesn't. He teaches you and, te and tests you through Scripture. The Scripture working in you. He, he looks at, he chastens you. That's the word I was looking for. You know how he chastens you? 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof and correction. There's the chastening of God for you and I today. Not in your circumstances. The circumstances of your life are where you take God's Word that you have built in your inner man and you go live it in those circumstances. And you shine the light and say, here, this is, I'm doing the best I can with what I know. <laughs> and that, that's what Paul's getting after here. When we understand our future redemption, then we begin to understand that it has an impact right now in the present. And when you come back to chapter 1, verse 30, that is exactly what Paul's doing here. That's exactly Paul's whole point in these four categories. You guys aren't... Think about what the Corinthians are doing. They're not valuing what God values. They're not gaining in wisdom. They're not out there digging up the rich treasures of who Christ has been made unto them. And Paul's, that's the answer, guys. The answer is for you to get in and dig out the deep treasure of who Christ has been made unto you and understand that it's you and understand that viewpoint. So they're not operating in all, they're not operating at all in the details of wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What are they doing? They're glorying in themselves. Thus, verse 31. By the way, chapter 2, you think Paul's been rough now? Wait till we get in chapter 2. Wait till we get in chapter 3. Wait till we get over in chapter 4. And he's unbent him over his knee, and he's got the big paddle out. Why? Because sometimes when you're in bad behavior, what do you need? You need the big paddle. 
And that's what Paul, you need a whooping is right. That's what Paul's doing. Okay? Why? Because you've got to shake you out of it. You've got to startle you. Now, verse 31, quickly here. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So then what are they doing? If he's telling them don't glory, but only glory in the Lord, then what are they doing? They're glorying in themselves because that's what human wisdom teaches you. Human wisdom says you're the issue. Human wisdom says how you feel is important. Human wisdom says this is what, how I'm feeling about it. This is what I think about it. You know, God's word doesn't care what you feel or think. It doesn't. He says this is how you should think. This is how you should go about this. Well, I just think we need this, you know, a kumbaya moment. No, you don't. Now, you might, but that's not coming from God's word. Again, the moment you got saved, you didn't feel anything. You don't. It's a spiritual transaction. It's a spiritual operation within your inner man. Now, you may have felt something, and that would have been the, that, that issue of relief of having your sins forgiven. <laughs> but that isn't God. That's you. See, God goes to work. Anyway, did I tell you Jeremiah 9? Okay, good. Go to Jeremiah 9. By the way, before you leave verse 31, that, according as it is written, that is how Paul addresses all of his Old Testament references. He never says, as it is fulfilled. He always says, as it is written. Why? Because there's a parallel situation back here in Jeremiah chapter 9 that you need to pay attention to and catch up on. And that means Paul knew his Bible. Therefore, you know what Paul demands of you? To know your Bible. Jeremiah 9 <clears throat> helps to be in 9. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. And we're just jumping in because here's where the quote is, but the quote is important. Verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise men glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty men glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. What's Corinth doing? That right there. We have the wise, we have the scribes. We have the noble. Remember Paul? Not many wise, not many noble, see? Not many mighty. There they are. Verse 30, verse 24. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth who? Who's the me? The Lord, Jehovah, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Do you see how there's a few things there listed? I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. There's three out of the four we've been looking at. The one that's not there is the issue of wisdom, and that's because the wisdom Paul's talking about is the hidden wisdom of God. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So when Paul says, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, you know what you ought to be delighting in? The same things that the Lord delights in, and what does he delight in? His wisdom, his righteousness, his sanctification, his redemption, not yours. You've been made a willing participant of it, 
But who did it? He, the Father, made unto us the Son. So when you come back here to, to chapter 1, we conclude with the ultimate goal in verse 31. And that is what? That we're going to delight in what the Lord delights in. We're going to delight in what the Father delights in. And what does he delight in? He delights in what he's vested and he's doing in and through his Son. And, he, and your participation in that. Right now, godliness is a... It, it, is the life promised now and that which is to come, 1 Timothy says. Okay? We get it now. We get this understanding. And, and again, Paul's dealing with babes here. That's what's going to happen in chapter 2 there, verse 2. I determined not to have anything among you, to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's basic information. Actually, that's milk. He's going to say, I wanted to talk to you about the hidden wisdom, but you're not able. You're not ready. I can't do that. I won't do that to you. You don't even have the basics down. So if you're sitting there going, wow, I don't have that down, that's okay. Neither did they. But you know what? They learn. You can too. That's the wonderful thing. So redemption, the last. In the sequence of, of the verse, it's not redemption from salvation. That's already dealt with with the righteousness. It's that future redemption of this body where he changes this vile body, gives us a body fashioned like his glorious body. By the way, you know what that means? That means you need to know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the details of that glorious body. But why is he doing that? So he can subdue all things back to himself. So he can finish out the ultimate, that glorious redemption plan, reconciliation plan out in the future. Okay? So Paul is, he's rebuking them, but he just gave them the correct, how to correct the problem. And literally now he's going to make back references back into verse 30. And as we go, I'll, I'll try and remember to point them out and not be angry with you all the time. Because again, I, I told, I'm, I'd say it now, I'll say it again. I'm going to try to give you Paul's tone and tenor. And I'm not upset with any of you. You're all wonderful people. <laughs> hint, 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 you know, okay. But the thing is, is you got to catch what Paul's doing with these Corinth, with the Corinthians because sometimes you need it done to you. I need it done to me. It just happens. Why? Because we're human. And in our humanity, we still kind of get things all out of whack. And sometimes we need a whack-a-mole back it in. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for the instructions here. And Lord, I just pray that all the glory, that we would all glory in you and who we are in you and everything you've provided for us, our eternity, our redemption, our, our wisdom, our righteousness, and our sanctification, so that it would have an impact on our lives today, in this moment, as we go day by day and live life and enjoy life and do the things that are ours to do, and yet we'll do them for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.